I put on the chat, on the chat it says, 1305, the Battle of Barcelona and Provence, the Raj Bizcherem. That's what it says on the chat. But the Shia really is, or interconnected with that is, learning stories of Tanakh, not literally. And uh, we'll, see, we'll see how this all, uh, this all ties in. Right. Well, that's the, that's the work. Maybe our whole life is just a muscle. Okay. So, so we're going to begin. We'll get right into it. Huh? Should we begin? Yeah. yeah right. Right. Okay. So we start with... Uh, we know there's an idea called Ein Mikra Yoytzi Midei Pshutoi. A pasuk always has to retain its literal meaning. You want to give a you want to give a rem as it hints to something. You want to give a drash to expound it in the deeper or soy the mystical aspect. Man. That's all nice and dandy. Man, you, you can't forget the pshat. And uh, Rashi many times an apostle will bring a drash, you know that the to expound the pasuk. But then Rashi will say right, right, right. But then uh, but then he'll say you know ain mikriyotsim Right. Well, that might no. actually leave the pshat. Some sukim, there are exceptions. Now, right, it does it Kushis, either good, what the gematria of Astoria, or Kushis that she would be dark. Exactly, exactly. She was white. Exactly. Why would she be dark? It an analogy for her beauty. No, no, so there are exceptions. Wait, 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 wait. Where does the cloud come up? It comes up from a debate in Masech the Shabbos between the Tanoim, the Zrabalezer, the Chachomim. Are you allowed to walk out on Shabbos in a place where there's no Eruv? And there's a real Rishosarabim. And you want, you're going out with, uh, with your sword, you know? You're walking out carrying your sword. Rabbalezer says it's fine. It's a, it's a Tachshit. It's an ornament. It's beauty. And the Chachomim say, no, not to be high for carrying. Rabbi Leza says, I have a pasuk. It's a pasuk in Tillim. Chagur, Charbecha, Al Yorech, Gibor, Hoidcha, Vahadorecha. Which means that, O oh, mighty one, gird upon yourself your sword, it's your beauty. Rabbi says, You see? A sword is a person's beauty, it's your statesmanship, etc. The Chom say, What are you talking about? The pasuk's talking about a Talmud Chacham. And it's saying that the Torah that he knows, that's his, uh, his armor, that's his ammunition, that's his beauty. The Bledis says, what do you mean? Ein It could be talking about Torah as well. But do not forget the fact that the, posuk, the fact is the Pasuk is saying a sword is beautiful. In fact, the Gemara there says, Rav Kano said, wow, I learned through Kola Torah Kula, but I never heard that word, that Ein it, it was a new thing. It wasn't so obvious. So this is the rule. Now there definitely are exceptions. There definitely are exceptions. The Rambam, I'm going to quote a number of things from Meir Nevuchim tonight. I wanted to get it on the paper. I didn't have time, didn't have enough space. But you'll just uh, believe me to check it up mm. later. The Rambam has a parak where he discusses, the Torah speaks about Hashem's hands. Right? Yad Hashem. Ein mikro Hashem must have a hand. What do you mean? Hashem has a hand. The Rambam lays out a rule like this. He says, it's a, if it's obvious that it's not literal, meaning it's, it's absurd to assume that it's literal, it doesn't make any sense, then, you, then it's as if the pasuk is screaming, I'm just a euphemism. It's as if the Abish is clearly telling you that it means something else and it's just a marshal. So that's already rule number one. When you're talking about God, the Torah uses certain words 
which are clearly not literally. Now, how do you know if it's clearly not literal? If it's an absurdity intellectually. Being that the Rambam believes that to say the Abishta has body-like features is absolute rubbish, it's impossible. It's logically absurd. By the way, the Rambam in Hilchis Tshuva says that someone who believes Hashem has a limb is an apikairis. Yeah. The Ravid famously writes very sharp words. The Ravid says, wow, there were people that were greater than him, meaning the Rambam, who did believe the Abishta has some type of body. And the Rambam just wants to call them all apikursim. The Ravid says, what do you want from them? They learned Tchumash, they learned Nach, they saw what the Pasuk says about Hashem's body, so they mistakenly assumed these were big people. How does the Rambam have the Chutzah to say they're apikursim? So what did I once quoted that the Kozhnitz Hermagit the great Kajnus Samagit said that when the Rambam wrote this halacha, many souls were thrown out of Gan Eden. The Kajnus Samagit said when the Rambam learned this halacha, many souls were thrown out of Gan Eden because they were considered halachically apikursim. People that were scholars and had for some reason, because of what it says in the Pesukim, they came to some strange, strange for us, not for them, conclusion that the Eivishter does have some, uh, whatever, bodily characteristics. And once the Rambam passed the Apikursim, they were thrown out. And when the Ravid, when the Ravid wrote what he wrote, they were allowed back in. And then he said that the Rambam apparently later in life, when the Rambam at the end learned Kabbalah, the Rambam took back his opinion. Because in philosophy, to say God has any phys- um, bodily descriptions is, is just an absurdity. But once you learn Kabbalah, we say in Pasach Chesed is Hashem's right hand, the left hand. It doesn't mean Hashem has a body, but we use these descriptions because they're actually the most fitting description, however, to describe the spheres. So then the Rambam backed off. He said, you know, he backed off. He, in fact, reversed his own opinion, which is a big thing to say that the, what the Rambam wrote in Mishnah Torah is not his final halacha. It's obviously a big thing, big thing to say. Anyhow, back to the ranch. So the Rambam writes, and uh, that's what the Rambam writes in Hulchus Tshuva about that. Back to what he says in Merinavuchim, he says, if the Pasuk says God has a, et spelikim, the finger of God, it's a Pasuk in Chumash, by the Makis, Hashem says a finger. Says the Rambam, because it's so logical that Hashem doesn't have fingers, it's as if the Pasuk is saying, don't take me literal. So that's, that's probably the first major exception to Ein Mikro Yetzimidei Okay, so having said that, that there are exceptions, but you know what it does? It opens the door, which is what? Whenever the pshutoi is illogical, yeah, now who decides that? <laughs> you, whoever's learning it. That, well, that gives the mafayrish the right five to five say hours. it doesn't mean literal. It, who well, makes the, that call? The <laughs> mafayrish, you, you have to, well, that, that's the shy. If that break the plates is over here. Exactly. Right, so, you know, what's considered not making sense? You know, what's considered an absurdity? Okay, so having said that, let's begin. We're going to go on a bit of a journey tonight, but that's the way it is. Okay, number one. We begin in the beginning of Chumash. This, this is, sorry, this is, this is an old print of the Ibn Ezra. In the, in the yeshiva, we only have old prints. We would love to be able to, to renew the library. Maybe she'll help get some new books over there. Right, the print is better? The new books? Yeah. Yeah, you'll have the Ibn Ezra in square letters. Like you have it all electronic. I'm not the one getting in the way. There's, a, there's, a, there's lots of whatever, bureaucracy, what's the word? There's a, 
to have, you know, to get anything, to get anything done, there's, you know, there's a whole hierarchy of uh, anyhow. Listen, the story of the snake. The snake speaks to Chava. So if you look in the Pesukim, it says the snake spoke to Chava and it said, "Did the Ebeshte, you know, not allow you to eat from the from the, the fruits?" No, he began a discussion with her to talk about the trees in the Garden of Eden in order to speak about the Eitz so the Shaila is, was the snake actually speaking? Was the snake hissing? Like, what exactly happened? So the Ibn Ezra brings a number of opinions. One opinion is, yeah, the snake hissed. The snake hissed and Chava understood. Well, so how did Chava speak back? It must be not only she understood, she spoke it too. She, she spoke snake. Exactly. We mentioned, did we... I mentioned once, not too long ago, that when the Alt Rebbe was once traveling to Mizrij, he stopped off in Koditz, and he chapped he, uh, a schmooze with Rapinchas Koritzer, the great student of the Baal Shem Tev. Rapinchas very much wanted the Altarebbe to remain. Rapinchas said, if you stay by me, I'll teach you Maiser Bereshis, the secrets of creation, the secrets of Kabbalah, of Maiser Merkava, and I'll teach you the language of the birds. And the Altarebbe told him, a soul comes down into this world to learn three things. Yochid, Echod and Void. Three levels of Hashem's unity with creation. And that's it. And with that, he picked up his, you know, and he left. Ouch. When he came to Mizrich, the before he told the Magid anything, the Magid said, yes, over here I will teach you Yehuda Tator and Yehuda Ilah. Years later, the Altareb was once traveling with his grandson, the Samach Sedek. They were on a wagon. They pulled over to the side of the road. It was shash still, except for some birds chirping. After a, a bit of time, the Altarebbe turned to the Samach Sedek and he said, if one has good hearing and a sharp mind or a clear mind, you'll be able to figure out the language of the birds. Now, so he got it, Altarebbe got it anyways. So the Shaili is maybe Chavah just understood the language of the snakes. That's one opinion. Another opinion, he says, look at number one, the top. The Ibn Ezra is quoting Rabsad Yagon. By the way, the Ibn Ezra... The Ibn Ezra was 75 years old. This I think this I, I much find fascinating. The Ibn Ezra, Rabbi Avram Ibn Ezra was 75 years old. And he was writing a poem or a letter. And he quoted a posse from this week's parasha. The Avraham, that Avraham, which is his own name. Ben Shanim Shana. He was 75. When he left Choran. Avraham was 75 when he departed. Shortly after he died. And that's right before the Ezra died, he was busy writing this pasuk that Avram was 75 when he departed. The Ibn e- uh, the Mithla Rebbe writes in a mimer that the Ibn Ezra was killed al Kiddush Hashem. I don't know of any other source that says that. The Mithla Rebbe writes in a mimer that the Ibn Ezra was killed al Kiddush Hashem. What do we know? He's in Spain. He was all over. He started in Spain, but he was a poor man. How, what he writes, he lived 75 years. So it was either 1089 till 1164 or three years later he was what Spain was good yeah but he couldn't make he didn't make a penny um isn't he the one that said that if the people would, if he if would make pe- people uh, exactly would and if he made candles the sun would right. be set <laughs> so he was a great writer he used to write poems for people and that's how but he traveled all around he was everywhere he was all over europe he was in england he was in england once for shabbos when he was in england he wrote a whole thing to prove that people then were saying that Shabbos starts 
Saturday morning dawn and it goes for 24 hours. First day and then night. And he wrote a whole piece to in Howard, you know, the other way around. So, and that was in London. Oh, yeah, yeah, confused, confused people. Confused people. Now, so the Ibn Ezra says, he quotes from Sadi you know, the, the Friedrich Rebbe told, I just can't hold myself back from throwing in all these tidbits, even though they're all just, uh, you know, parentheses. The Friedrich Rebbe once told the Rebbe, Journey is the thing. But sometimes you just want to, you know, want to drive, you know, as imagine you're driving to a certain point, and, not get and the driver stops every two minutes. Hours. No, no, but like, you, you know, it's like we're, dr- we're driving to the top of the mountain, the beautiful view, and the driver every two minutes wants to stop at the small views, you know. Some people like it, like, no, go right there. This is garnish. Let's get to the peak. Small, small views are yeah, yeah, Exactly, yeah, 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 exactly. Everybody's crowded at the top of the mountain. Exactly. So, it seems like you've never done a tour in Israel. That's all they I actually have I was once oh, on a tour on the first day. They say, here's Shmuel Anovi's buried. Ten miles later, there's Shmuel, Shmuel Anovi's buried. Yeah. Shmuel Aleph and Shmuel Beis. <laughs> Yesterday you told us exactly. that. Yeah, yeah. That was Shmuel Aleph and exactly. that Shmuel Beis. Yeah. <laughs> so the Friedrich Rebbe told the Rebbe that the Rebbe Rashab every year would learn Chumash with a different Mepharish. Every year the focus Rebbe Rashab would focus and pick on. another Mepharish to learn. So the Rebbe asked the Friedrich Rebbe, did he also learn Ibn Ezra? And the Friedrich Rebbe said, yeah, also Ibn Ezra. There's a big hesitation. What's the hesitation? The Ibn Ezra really shook the boat in his time because when the Ibn Ezra trans- explains Chumash, he doesn't, what the Gemara and Medjish say is really not relevant to him. He's a Pashtun. He just wants to explain the Pshat of the Pasuk. If it goes against the traditions that we have, it doesn't matter. The, we have a letter that the Rambam wrote to his son. The Rambam wrote a letter to his son, Rabbi encouraging him to learn Ibn Ezra. Because we're going to see the Rambam in Merenavuchim also learned many of the stories of Tanakh were not literal. The letter that the Rambam wrote, it's a debate if it's a forgery. I mean, it's been accepted for hundreds of years, but there are those that believe... It's a letter. So, as a, it's a letter that we have. You're talking about, talking about something else. Uh, something, I don't know. No, but that, this is the same thing. The Rambam, they say, wrote a letter that, that what was a forgery? That the, I mean, that yeah. the, about the Mepharshim, stick to the pshat, that read Ebenezer. The Rambam wrote a letter to no, his son like encouraging him to learn Ebenezer. Yeah, but it's the same idea. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What about the Rashba? What do you? I asked you about the Rashba. The Rashba says he's upside down. The Rashba. The Rashba. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, let's leave that. Let's leave that. We're about to have the parentheses on the parentheses <laughs> on the parentheses. <laughs> Let's get back to the ranch. So the Marshal, the great Marshal, writes an introduction to one of his forum. We still haven't started yet. This is just, we're warming up, warming up. <laughs> Marshal writes in one of his introductions. He was very upset at the Ibn Ezra because Ibn Ezra like ignores Gemara and Medrash. Like it's ignoring Jewish tradition, you know, and teaching, teaching stories and things. Not the way you learn in Cheder. And the Marshal says, I'm even, I'm so upset at the Ibn Ezra, I'm even upset at the Rambam that he encouraged his son to learn Ibn Ezra. The Marshal then says, I did hear that the Ibn Ezra got up and publicly announced, I'm not arguing on the Gemara and the Medrash, I'm learning Chumash according to the way I understand. You know, I'm not negating what the Gemara and Medrash say at all. I'm just writing a Piddush 
The pshat on the, but the marshal says, with all said and done, it's a problem because he gave room. He doesn't say for reform Judaism, it didn't exist yet, but for that idea. He says, because people all blame the Ibn Ezra. In fact, the funniest thing is, really? you go to a chsidish yeshiva, they're quoting Ibn Ezra. You go to Litvish, they're quoting Ibn Ezra. You go to reform, they quote, everyone's quoting Ibn Ezra. Because it's universal. Right, but, but the Marshal says he did give room for you know, free thinkers to come on the scene and say, well, listen, the Ibn Ezra said that, you know, you know, the miracle never happened, so I believe the same thing. Anyhow, Al Kapanim, now that we've uh, disgraced him, we can learn what he said in the Chasr He was a very, very great man, very, very great man. Let's see what he says. The Yoimad of Sadjigon, Rav Sadjigon says, Acher she's baralonu. Says only a man can speak, animals cannot speak. So what do you say about the snake? So we said some say the snake hissed. Rabsadigon doesn't buy that because how, how did Chava understand? The snake didn't hiss. The snake spoke. How could the snake speak? Only humans could speak. Another option. Says Rabsadigon, the snake did not speak. Neither did Bilam's donkey, says Rupsad Yagon. It didn't speak. Rak Malach There was a Malach speaking on behalf of the snake. A Malach spoke on behalf of the donkey. So when Bilam sees the donkey, first the donkey speaks, and then the angel speaks. According to Rupsad Yagon, they're both an angel. Just first there was an angel speaking through or on behalf of the donkey. Maybe it appeared the donkey was speaking, but it was the Malach. And then there was direct... Um, a direct uh, vision and revelation from a Malach, which is not the simple reading of the story. According to Psad Yigon, both the donkey and the Malach of Bilam are both a Malach. That's not the simple reading of the story in Parshish Bolog. But says Rabbi... Right, well, maybe that was the Malach that would ultimately speak on behalf of the donkey. But if Psad- it was in Gemara, I think the Gemara would have said that. The Chumash might not, because they, they guard their words and it's limited, but the Gemara, they expound on it. What okay, is, I hear. was actually created... It says the, the, the mouth of the donkey. The, the power of an animal to speak. Okay. Fine. Points taken. But Rabbi Tzad Yugon well, says when it comes to the case, snake, it was a malach speaking on its behalf. Says Rabbi Ibn Ezra, the heishiv all of Rav Shmuel ben Chafni. Rav Shmuel ben Chafni was unhappy with what Rabbi Tzad Yugon says. He was a big, one of the last goinim in Bovel. He was the father-in-law of Rav Haigon, the last goin. We once learned the whole thing of Shmuel Bar about what he says about the whole story of Shaul sum, uh, summoning up when he went to the woman who summoned up uh, Shmuel's body from the grave. We, and, uh, the woman he, Abner's mother. Shmuel Ben Chafni, exactly. Shmuel Ben Chafni has, has a very interesting take on that story. You we know, learned. he believes the whole thing never happened. What? We, we did it. it. We learned. We learned it. I believe when we he did it. The right table, no. No, she, no, because. That he tainers that there was somebody behind the curtain who was speaking, you know, on the, they made believe it was a whole... Like uh, the 1800s. It was a whole ceremony. He, Shmuel ben Chefti tainers, miracles come from the hand of God. Outside the hand of God, magic can do nothing. So Bechlal, he was a rationalist. And that story, which I wasn't going to mention tonight, but that story um, in, about Shoal raising up Shmuel's body from the grave. It's a classical example of somebody on the caliber of Rav Shmuel ben Chafni, talking about a thousand years ago, who says that I don't care what it seems like from the Psukim, it doesn't make sense to have happened because I don't believe that magic has the power to do that. And therefore, whatever it says in the Psukim, you have to dray and twist. And it was all just, uh, 
it was a great magic they trick. Got it, right? it was a magic trick. Oh, the fifty-fifty no, chance. No, no, because the, the the prophecy they gave, he says that they realized logically. They knew there would be war against the Plishtim. They knew Shaul would die. It was just an educated fifty-fifty um, guess. Yeah, no, it was like eighty-twenty. <laughs> it was eighty-twenty. They felt confident enough. Anyhow, but either way, Shmuel ben Chafni is not happy with Rav Sadi pshat that the snake never spoke. The Sadi says the snake didn't speak. A Malach spoke in his back. And then he says, That's Reb Shloyme Ibn Gabiro, one of the great early Rishonim in Spain. He was murdered in his late 20s by someone who was a jealous person. Reb Shloyme Ibn Gabiro. He was, um, he was brought to Spain by, um, by Reb Shmuel Hanagit. Shmuel Hanagit was a wealthy man in Spain. And he, he, you know, he was almost like a coil. He said, come to me. He wanted to bring the best and the brightest to Spain. You're talking about in the early 10 hundreds. And uh, I'll pay for you, not just for your travel, I'll pay for everything you need. And uh, he, Shmuel Hanagid was also big in grammar. He brought Shloim Ibn Gabiril, who was a great linguist, a philosopher and everything, a very great man. Actually, this Shloim Ibn Gabiril was going hungry, so he created a golem, a girl, to cook in his kitchen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We have a tradition. Shloim Ibn Gabir when he was in twenties. He wanted to have, you know, they shouldn't. I, I'm busy learning. I want stuff at six p.m. He made a golem, a girl, to cook for him in the kitchen. Modern problems. But there was an Arabic scholar. There was an Arabic scholar who was jealous of Shloim Ibn Gabir, and when Shloim Ibn Gabir was walking down the street, he was pounced upon. The Arab killed him. The Arab then buried him. The story's not over. The Arab then buried him in the back of his garden. Back of his, and there was a tree there. And very quickly, through fertilization, whatever it was, fruit started growing on the tree. And this Arab, his tree gave fruits before any of the other uh, trees around, uh, around town. People were talking about it. Until it got word to the officials. And they, they went to his backyard and started digging. And they found the body of Shloim Ibn Gabiru. This is, uh, that's the story. Anyhow, she comes up here too. The Chacham Godol Hoya says the Ibn Ezra, this Rav Shloyma, this, the Spaniard, was a very wise man. The Hei Shiva Adol Shmuel, he knocks off Rav Shmuel. There's a whole back and forth here. He doesn't say what they said. The Hayosha Be'enai, but what I believe is, Shehem Advorim Kumashmom. Punct here, the Ibn Ezra says, I think it's literal, the snake spoke. The Hanachosh Hoya Medaber, the snake spoke. Walk straight. I how could it speak? He said a beautiful lotion. The same being that gave us knowledge gave knowledge to the snake. The Posuk testifies. The snake was sharper than all the other animals. Rak them, not like man, but almost like man. So this isn't the whole Ibn Ezra. So what we have here, there's actually four opinions by the snake. Either that it hissed, or you have Rabsad Yagon, and it's th- that it was the snake, but there was a Malach that spoke on his behalf. The Ibn Ezra learned it was Kipshutai. That's probably how Rashi learned the snake Pasha spoke. There is another opinion, that of Rabbeinu Bechaya. Rabbeinu Bechaya says there was no snake. No snake, it's the Satan. Satan and Nochesh are almost, it's the it's same gematria, same letters, just the Ches and the Tes. 
The Satan Bechal is a snake, you know, he's, you know, the way he gets us, he's a, he's a slithering, uh, deceitful being. Meaning the, the evil inclination. Right, well, oh, oh. So that, that's what Rabbeinu was the Satan. So what does that mean? Does that literally mean the Satan appeared to her as a Malach? You would imagine, in other words, she had a vision, she saw an angel. She saw an angel, so her right? Except how did that impregnate her? Some say Cain was... Oh, no, well, that, that, that opinion holds. That's one, that's one opinion who holds that Cain was born from her and the snake. I mean, the Gemara, you know, the fact that the Nochash had relations with Chava is, uh, that's quoted in Chazal. Rabbeinu Bechayim might say that snake is not the snake that spoke to her. The snake that spoke to her was the Satan. Yeah, there was, there was a snake in Gan Eden. They, that's something else. Had relations with her. Didn't have a body. Unless he then went into the body of the snake. So then you may as well say he spoke to her from the body of the snake. He spoke to her when he was uh, just a... Wasn't the snake. The same way it was the mouth of the thing. It was an angel. Hold hold, on. So so far you have four opinions. Hold on. Rabbeinu Bechai says a whopper. There was no snake. It was the satan. But then we have three opinions. There was a snake. Rav Sadiqon says there was a snake, but the malach spoke through it. There's an opinion the snake hissed. The Benezer says the snake Poshet spoke, spoke Lashon Kodesh. Then there's the Abar Benel. <coughs> the Abar Benel, who's later than all these people, the Abar Benel is 1400s. Abar Benel was originally the finance minister in Portugal. Till after some saga, he was sent out of Portugal, he was in Spain, and in 1492, he went with all the Eden, and he went, he went east to, face to the islands there in, uh, in Turkey and Italy. The Abarbanel says the whole story of the snake never happened. <laughs> it was all in Chava's mind. The whole thing was in Chava's mind. That she started thinking, well, what's the big deal? Let me eat from the tree. What's the big deal? So, wait, 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 hold, wait. So, let me ask you, does the Abarbanel fit with any of the four opinions we mentioned? The Ebenezer says the snake spoke, obviously doesn't fit with that. Those that say the snake hissed, it also doesn't fit. The Sadiqon says there was a snake, but the Malach spoke on its behalf, also doesn't fit. But it does fit with Rabbeinu Bechayir. Because Rabbeinu Bechayir says there was no snake, it was just the Satan. And we ask, so what did she see? Did the Satan appear in front of her? You could say no. The Satan came to her in her mind. Right. So if you put that Barbanel to Rabbeinu Bechayir, it fits. That Barbanel says... I'm not denying the psukim. I'm telling you what the story meant was the, the snake is the satan. And it didn't appear to her as a vision. It was in her mind. So the question is, when you're learning Pshutta Shomikra, this is, just, this is like one of the first examples. All of these Mepharshim believe this is what happened. Reb God is telling you this is what happened. The Ebenezer is telling you, no, this is what happened. Those that say it hissed say this is what happened. Rabbeinu Bechayi says, this is what happened. There was no snake, it was the Satan. When the Barbanel says it was in his, her mind, he's telling you, that is what happened. They're all arguing over the Pshat. Over the Pshat. And uh, obviously some of them fit more in the, in the actual text. Some of them make more sense logically. Right? Most of these Mepharshim will tell the Ibn Ezra, you really think the snake spoke? Why jump to radical conclusions? So that, this is the art. When you learn Pshut Mikra, you have to know that sometimes, you know, when are you loyal to the text at the expense of saying an outlandish Pshat? Sometimes you've got to 
you know, play with the text a little to make a shot which makes more sense. Anyhow, so that's just the first example. We move on. So that Rashi is Pshutoshal Mikra, but not to the extent of the... Rashi is explaining Pshutoshal Mikra based on the tradition of Chazal. He's going to use the traditions of Teresh Peh, the Yavimedish and Gemara, to explain Pshutoshal Mikra. He'll only quote it as a Kashem Pshutoshal Mikra, and he'll only quote what's going to help you understand the Pshutoshal Mikra, but he's going to quote fancy Medrashim. Rashi will quote big miracles or things like that. But then you have a whole, there's a whole list of the real Pashtunim. Rashi's grandson, the Rashbam, the Ibn Ezra, the Radak, and others who, you know, they want to learn the Pashtas, even if it comes at the expense of not following the tradition of Medrash and Gemara. Okay, let's go back to number two. There actually aren't that many sources today. Some of these are just stories. Number two is a big one. <coughs> the Rambam in Meru Nevuchim, now the Rambam is the greatest of the great, but in his time, he was in hot water. As is known, they burnt, they burnt his Sfarim. I think we mentioned this not too long yeah, ago. So Twice, it was in 1234. In Montpellier and 1242 in Paris. Twice they burnt the Rambam's forum, particularly the Murin of Uchim, the guide to become perplexed, as we say. The guide to the, for the perplexed, because the Rambam writes there things which really many of the Rishonim felt were not compatible with mainstream Judaism. And we're going to see some things over here. The Rambam says, you know the story in next week's Parsha? One. Because in Murin of Uchim, the Rambam writes many things. The, the, the burning thing. Oh, oh, why? Yeah, yeah. Why were they specific? It was... Uh, why more than anything else? Why did they care about more than that? Oh, oh, oh. So because uh, there was the Yidin made such a shtudim against it, the Goyim were more than happy to get involved. Yeah, the Yidin helped. The, the history behind it, the, the history by the, the, the government, it was the, 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 the monks... The religious goyim were more than happy. They heard that the Yidin, you know, having internal machlokes, they were more than happy to get involved. Wagons? That was another thing. They burned twenty-four wagons. Bechlal of all the svarim they had, right after they burnt the Rambam, right, right, right. And that's 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 a saga that we discussed. Right, maybe it was by a Shabbos shir that we discussed. It. Anyhow, whatever it was. So the Rambam writes in Meronavuchim, in next week's parsha, the three angels come to Avraham Avinu. Now, you assume it's a real story, right? I mean, you have so many details, what he fed them. I mean, every detail. In fact, there's a machloikas between the Gemara and the Medrash if they even ate. The Gemara says they made believe they ate. It's a Gemara in Bab Metzir. There's a Medrash called Tonad Veilio. says, no, they didn't believe. They actually ate. They actually ate. There's the whole shayla, they eat nuchits and fleshics. Right, exactly, yeah, the whole, exactly, exactly. So to, no, 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 but you say, even if they didn't eat, how did Avram serve them? He right. thought they would yeah, eat, yeah. he thought they would eat. Parentheses, the Alter Rebbe would often visit a city called Shklov. Shklov is a city in, in Belarus, and it was, a, it was a, you know, for the Misnagdim, it was a hot spot. He had thousands of scholars, he had hundreds of people there, Bukim, Bishas, huge Goenim, you know, and uh, the al liked visiting there, he had a long, lot of long history visiting that city. Anyhow, one time he came, and they honored, even though they were Misnagdim, but they honored the al because there they knew the Al-Tareb's greatness, they honored him to come to the big shul, the place was packed, al was gonna, you know, answer people's questions, maybe give a shir. 
while when Al-Tarebbe got up, he was challenged. And they said that, you know what, not too long ago, some of your chassidim were here. And they said in your name something uh, unacceptable. They said in your name that neshamas are premium. And a malach is a chitzen. A malach, you know, does something externally. And a neshama is a premium. They said, that's such chassidish rubbish. They said, what are we doing rubbish? You're teaching a malach is a chitzen. And they said, bring us a mocker. And don't quote no zoyars. We want bavli Yerushalmi. Al-Tarebbe said, it's a mafurish gemara. What gemara? He says, a gemara bab mitziah. Al-Tarebbe said, yeah. Al-Tarebbe said, the gemara says in bab mitziah, in the pays, you should always follow the custom of the locale. Because when Moshe went up to heaven, he acted like an angel he didn't need for 40 days and 40 nights. When the Malachim descended to Elam Hazer, they made believe they ate. They made believe they ate. Moshe Taka took on the custom of heaven. He Taka didn't eat. When the Malachim descended, they didn't eat, according to the Gemara. They made believe they ate. See, Malach is a chitzen. And the Shom is a pnimi. That was the right that Al-Tarebbe had. But anyhow, the point is... About the, the malach, the, in general, the, the only, the only person, the only thing that can make, uh, that can elevate the sparks of mitzvahs mechal, make an elevation, is a neshama in a guf. Even malachim and and neshamas in ganeidin, there's nothing they they can't be mechadish in. There's no chadushi right. teira up there in heaven, and it's only what you learn down here. It's all happening down here. Right, right. Well, that's why we're here tonight. You know, yeah. this is what we're, this is what we're doing. Everyone is a chiyuv. The Alter Rebbe says today in Tanya, I think today, yes, mechadish to. You have to be mechadish. Uh, right, right, right. But what we're learning tonight is you've got to be careful what you're mechadish. Some chiyuvim <laughs> are acceptable, some of them are not learn. acceptable. Fine. <laughs> so back to the back to the ranch. So it sounds like the story Mamash happened. The Malachim appeared to Avraham, and that's that's it. The Rambam says it was all a vision. The Rambam says, it says, Hashem, Hashem, Hashem appeared to Avram, and right after speaks about the three people. Says the Rambam, it was all a vision. The three Malachim was all a vision. The whole Suda of Avram serving the, the bread and the flesh, the milk, it was all Set just a vision. It was all a vision. So let's read this. Now the Ramban in Vayera quotes this and rips it apart. Says the Rambam, say, uh, this is the Rambam number two. The second line, The parsha starts off with a general thing that God appeared, and then it details. First it says that appeared in a vision of a prophecy. Now what was the vision? The pasuk then says, Avram lifts up his eyes, and the Rambam says, In a vision, we're number two. The yeah. There are three people standing on top of him. And then Avram said to Hashem, if I found favor in your eyes, etc. This is a story of what he said in the vision to one of those Malachim. The greatest of them. And the Rambam says, if it wasn't a vision, It was just Anoshim eating flesh. How could Hashem appear to him? 
the Posset doesn't say what the vision was. So the Rambam wants to say, if it says Hashem appeared to him, but then he sees three men, if it was literally three men eating flesh, so where was God? Where was the prophecy? According to the Rambam, says the Ramban, Thorah didn't bake any cakes, and there was no matzah, Avram didn't shecht any cow, the gam loy the whole story of Sarah laughing, it also never happened. Rakakol b'mar is all a vision. So she laughed in a head? Yeah, why can't she? Boach haloy mazeh inyan. Kachaloy mesasheker. Then this dream that I've, this vision is happening is like a, a false dream. Why should Avram dream that Sarah laughed and then Sarah got punished for laughing? I mean, why would Avram see that if it never happened? I mean, what? Why? Kimatoy elis laharis the why show that? Why show that to him? Now the Rambam continues. The Rambam, the Ramban is quoting the Rambam a word here, and then he argues, and a word there, and he argues. He now quotes the Rambam in Parshas Vayishlach. I mean, the Rambam in Mernavuchim speaks about the fight between Yaakov and the angel in Vayishlach. The Rambam says the fight never happened. It was a vision. Now, why was Yaakov uh, limping after? That Yaakov fought with an angel. It's all b'mara hanavu. It's all a vision. Says Ramban, Why when Yaakov awoke, was he limping? You know, if you get hurt in your dream when you wake up, you know how you... How, if in a vision, if in a vision, you know, you get really hurt. So when you wake up, isn't there some correction? By the way, there's some spiritual. Could it, uh, the question is to what degree? Sometimes it goes the other way. If while you're sleeping, you know, you hurt yourself, you feel some pain, then you'll imagine that in your dream. But he right. was saying fakert that something that happens in your vision should leave a, a physical and permanent. Uh, Yaakov wasn't permanent. Could have been if they wish they wouldn't have healed it. Anyhow. And the Lama Omri says more than that. Yankov said, wow, I saw God face to face and I was saved. Well, uh, he expected to be hurt from his prophecy. The Nevi'im are never afraid they're going to die from their prophecy. And not just that. Yaakov saw greater visions. He saw God. He, they should appear to Yaakov. Right? And Yaakov never said, wow, I can't believe I survived that. You know, Shimshin's father said that Manayach, but Yankov never said, wow, I survived. This, and this small vision when he had a fight with an angel in his vision, that he was surprised that he survived. And then he continues saying that, Bechlal, according to the Rambam, if the Malachim never came to planet Earth, it was a vision, so they never went to Lloyd's. If they never went to Lloyd's, so then the, the Goyim in Stoim never surrounded Lloyd's house to kill them, right? Well, it's like the whole thing never happened. And you say, well, maybe Lloyd was a prophet, but then maybe Lloyd also had a prophecy. But what are all the men of Stoim? He says a couple lines later, you think all the men of Stoim, they're Roy and Vichatun, they're also prophets? How did they know that Lloyd was having a vision? <laughs> and it's teasing. Huh? No, he says maybe that was all part of Lloyd's vision. He says, but that means that maybe the whole destruction of Stoim was all a vision. Says Ramban, according to the Ramban, you Such might need to say, maybe this, we're, hello, we're still all in the yeah, vision. Yeah, all still the vision of a, he finishes off by saying, I'll just read the last line, the words of the Rambam contradict the Pasuk, is forbidden to hear them, 
Often, forget wow. about to believe them. It's also to hear them, forget about to believe in them. Woo! So, so the Rambam said about the story of the Malachim, the, the fight of Yaakov and the, and the angel. The Rambam also says it about the donkey of Bilam. Now that we said Nishkefeluch, we saw number one, Rabbi Sadiagon already said that the, the donkey never spoke. It was a Malach that spoke on the donkey's behalf. Well, the Rambam in Mernavuchim says a similar thing. The Rambam says that you think a donkey spoke to Bilam? Come on, where were your brains? The Rambam says that. You think that really, it doesn't make sense, says the Rambam. It was a vision. It was a prophecy that Bilam was having. Now, is that the exact same as Rapsad Yigon? I don't know. When Rapsad Yigon says that the Malach spoke on behalf of the donkey, it's not, it's not but is, is that a prophecy? Because Rapsad Yigon has to divide between when the Malach spoke on behalf of the donkey to verse when the Malach spoke directly to Bilam. When the Malach spoke to Bilam directly, that's a vision. That, that's an avul. Yeah. When the Malach spoke on behalf of the donkey, is that the same level or not? Why does he stop there, though? I mean, then you can go the whole tale. I'm saying it's very, very. Yeah. All right, let's go. Why bad? Why would? Why would there? I'm stop there. So the Ramba. Okay. Right. I mean, the, the brothers. The we're gonna. Oh, whoa, okay. The Marcus. I mean, you he know. does. You know what? When I when I was uh, when I was young and I was a kid, I was learning the story of Yosef and the brothers, and it wasn't my first time. And I said, "This can't be. It can't be. It doesn't make sense. It must be. It's probably a marshal. How could it be? It doesn't make sense." And the person next to me almost gave me such a frass <laughs> that. Uh, <laughs> anyhow, but there, the, well, there, there, what was pushing me to say that it wasn't literal is just because how, how, how could the brothers do it? It's just like. But then, yeah, you know, you get a bit older, you see how jealousy works. Or, yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyhow, anyhow, no, but no, there's actually, there's, there's, no, 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 people come to your house, that must be fake. No, 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 but, but when, when you see more about life and how, uh, you know, you, you, there's definitely more room to understand the story. But Al-Kaponim, when it comes to the donkey, the Rambam says that it was part of the vision that Bilam had. The donkey spoke to, it was like a dream. It was a vision that he was having. I don't know if it's exactly the same as Rapsadji Gon, who says no, a Malach spoke on behalf. No, because. He's saying Bilam no, speaking back. No, no, but Rapsadji, that might be in the vision. When Rapsadji Gon says a Malach spoke on behalf of the donkey, that might also be a vision. Okay, we have to clear. But I'll upon him. So we have this, these wild Rambams, and we have the Ramban who writes very harsh words against the Rambam. Okay. We continue. We're going to go through some stories in Nach, and then we're going to see how this. What does this have to do with the year 1305? Fascinating. Oh, it's already over. Okay, let's, let's go. Let's go. So, there's a story in Nach. I'm going to begin with a story in Yeshua. Shemesh the in Yeshua is fighting a war in Eretz You see, when the Yidden came to Eretz Yisrael, there was a nation called the Givainim. And they made believe they were a far-off nation and they happened to be in the land. They made a, a, tree, a, a peace treaty with the Yidin. Afterwards, Yeshua found out that they were really Canaanim and they would have had to make a different type of peace treaty. But either way, the deal was done. Shortly after, a number of the Canaanite nations pounced on the Givainim. They heard the Givainim had made this peace treaty with the Yidin. Traitors, you're allowing the enemy in. 
and they, they surrounded the Givainim to fight. The Givainim sent a letter to Yeshua, Yudach, our ally, you're our ally, come help. Hashem tells Yeshua, go. The Yidin fight, and there was a tremendous victory. And it says that the sun stood still. It says in the Pesukim, the sun stood still. Does that mean literally that the sun stood still? So any kid that learns the story, not just any kid, if you learn the Gemara, the Gemara and Avodah Zorah mentions numerous opinions. If the sun was stood for six hours, 12 hours, one opinion says 24 hours, 36 hours. But a huge miracle definitely took place. Comes the Ralbag. The Ralbag was one of the great Rishonim. And he was around from like 1280 to 1340, that time period. He actually, he was a great astronomer. And there is a crater on the moon named after him. It's called, if you check it up, it's called Rabbi Levi. Till today in England, check it up. Check it up right now. Rabbi Levi is going to give you a picture of a crater on the moon named after the Ralbag. And then after that, you could check up a tra- check up a creator called Abin Ezra, named after the Rabbi Avram Ibn Ezra. They were astronomers. You check it up, Rabbi Levi. Yeah, Rabbi it's called Rabbi, Rabbi Levi. It's so random. Rabbi Levi. The Ralbag was uh, one of the creators on the moon. Where did he live? France or Spain? Rabbi Levi, not really West. So Levi and who? It's actually two creators. Abin Ezra. Abin Ezra. Abin Ezra. It's going on. So. The Rablevi ben Gershon, the Ralbag. Gershonites. Right, Gershonites. The Ralbag, the Ralbag in his day, he, he was mamish, he was, uh, as much as the Rambam was criticized for being a free thinker, he was like past the pale. The Ralbag was past the pale. Worse. The Ralbag says that by Yeshua, the sun never stopped. It never stopped. No sun. <laughs> no, it's like those. Uh, it's like the people say you <laughs> <laughs> We're missing him. What? He says like the, he says he says there was a, he says there was a miracle on the battlefield. He says the he says the Yidden won the war so quickly. It was as if time stood still. He writes this in his commentary on Nach, the Ralbag, and he also wrote a famous work called Milchama Hashem, the War of God, and he writes it there as well. Look for a second in number four. What? No, 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 no. Look, look what he writes in number four. No, 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 no. No, that, that, that's something else. That's a Nicholas. Look at number four. Number four is the Avedis Hakadosh. Avodah Hakadosh is one of the greatest Kabbalists that ever lived. Rab Meir Ibn Gabay. He was right before the Ramak, he was right before the Arizal. Oh, wow. Rab Meir Ibn Gabay, he, he came to Eretz, he was in Eretz Yisrael, um, passes away 1540, sometime around there. In fact, uh, the Shalor writes, the Shalor writes about the big three Kabbalists. He says, who are the big three Kabbalists? He says, Rab Meir Ibn Gaboy, Rab Moshe Kordavera, the Ramak, and then the Arizal. Those are the big three. So, number four, this is Rab Meir Ibn Gaboy in the Avodah Sakhaydish. Yechsidus quotes from him a famous statement that just like the Abishta has power in the unlimited, the unlimitedness of God, he also has a power, Bigvul. 
The same way the Abishta has a power to be unlimited, he has an equally strong power to be limited. Says number four, says Rameri ibn Gaboy, this was the place of mistake. Mimenu Zorchot Saras Haminus. From here shone the Saras of, uh, of um, um, heresy. Bemitzchais on the forehead of Ktsas philosophy, some of the philosophers of our people. Yesh mehem makhishim niflois venislamatarsen olegamri. Some of the philosophers of our philosophers, they deny the wonders and miracles of our Torah legamri, they deny completely. Like what they write about the sun stopping and giving. Like the Rabag's Pirish is well known. The book is called Muhammad Hashem, the War of God. He nicknamed names it a war against God. The war against God. Now, who actually coined that? Who coined that? Uh, he's not the first one who did it. There was a Rishon called Reb Shemtiv Ibn Shemtiv. Oh. There were actually two of them. Big there were actually two of them. There were actually two of them. Very important. One was a Zayda. One was an Enochal. It's actually fascinating historically. The Zayda was a major Kabbalist. And terrifically against um, philosophy. The first one. Reb Shemtiv Ibn Shemtiv. He was at uh, the end of the 1300s, early 1400s. And uh, he was vehemently against philosophy, against the Rambam, against the Ralbag. And he coined this, he was the first one to coin this phrase that the Ralbag Sefer is not the war of God, it's the war against God. It's a war against God. And he was a big Kabbalist. This the first Reb Shemtev, Ibn, Ibn Reb Shemtev was his first name, Ibn Shemtev was the family name. He had a grandson who had the same name, Reb Shemtev, Ibn Shemtev, who loved philosophy. And in fact, he wrote a whole pirish on the Rambam's Merin of Uchim. So it was just funny how uh, such, a, such, such a change. But I'll call upon him. You see, you see what David is like. You see, how, you see how the Kabbalists, you see how the Kabbalists look at the Ralbag, his war against God. Look at number three. Go back to number three. This is wild. The Kuzari. The Kuzari is one of the oldest Yiddish works of philosophy from the great Rabbi Yehuda Halevi, the great poet, and uh, who's in, um, in the, so there's a pirish on the Kuzari written by somebody by the name of Yehuda Muscato. I think he lived in Italy, talking about about 500 years ago. In his introduction, he writes like this, in the works of Rebekhil, Kosov, it says like this. This is a wild statement. The words of the Rambam are closer to the truth than to falsehood. The words of the Rambam are closer to falsehood than to truth. The words of the Rambam are closer to falsehood than to truth. But the words of the Kuzri is completely true. <laughs> he about himself. No, 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 no. This was written, Yehuda Muscato, 500 years ago, is quoting from Pirkei Rebrechil, which I don't know what that is. But uh, no, it wasn't Rebbe Huda writing about himself. It was somebody oh, much he's later. He's writing it about the Kuzri. Yeah, I mean, and he's contrasting it to the Rambam and the Ralbag. 
What's the difference between what the Rambam said and the Rambam? So the Rambam is closer to the truth more than to Sheker. The Rambag is closer to Sheker than to truth. And Rabbi Yehuda Halevi is untouchable. So you see how people looked at the Rambag, right? I mean, it's closer to falsehood. He said he was left of Rambam even. Rabbi Nachman of Breslov said, Rabbi Nachman of Breslov was crazy against philosophy. And he said, if you hear a taich of the Rambag on something that he writes on Nach, you have to tear Korea. Still? You have to tear Korea. He said this 150 years ago, 200 years ago, 200 years ago. Then we have the following story. I, I'd rather mention this once by Fabrenga not too long ago. But now there's so much noise in that room, in that kid, the room, you can't get a word out. I'm screaming on the top of my lungs, can't get a word out edgewise. Just I need someone to stand up there to be, you know, to be the clown for a few minutes for entertainment. And then, anyhow, I'm just Anyhow, so uh, it happened once in Lubavitch that the Tzemach Tzedek had lots of visitors for Rosh Hashanah. They had Davin Shachris. Time for Shafer. But the Tzemach Tzedek was in his room. That was the minute. He went to his room for a bit. He came out when he was ready. Time is passing. Everyone's waiting. It's not coming out. So the Reb Marash um, was asked by one of his older brothers, Rabbi Yehuda Leib, you know, you're like the little kid, the Tata loves you. Go, go, go ahead, find out what's going on. The Reb Marash went, and he comes back and he says, the Tata is busy learning Ralbag. The whole, hundreds of people waiting for Shafer. So wow. Sarek was learning one of the Ralbags for him. So Rabbi Yehuda Leib Maril tells the Reb Marash, what? Tata's learning Valbag? Now? Like right before Shofar? So the Reb Marash said, you know, I was wondering the same thing. I asked the Tata what's going on. And the Tata told me that the Ralbag once appeared to him and he asked him to do him some spiritual favor. And the Tata said he never had a good time, but today was a good time to do it. Hmm. So he was busy learning the Ralbag's Piddish. So you see that uh, it's not exactly as advertised, you know? Anyhow, but I'll upon him, that's, the Rabbah got so much flack, and you see from number four, from Rameim Gabai, because of what he wrote by Shemesh Begiven Doim. What does the Rambam say about it? The Rambam in Mer Nevuchim says, maybe I'll quote it if I have it um, here. I got it right here. The Rambam writes in Mer Nevuchim, you could check it up, it's, it's black and white. The Rambam says, don't be mistaken from what you read about the story of the sun standing. No, 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 no. I'll tell you what it means. What it means is that that day was Kegodl Shebimei Hakayitz. was like the longest summer day. That's what happened. It was just a very long summer day. That's what the Rambam says. End quote. So what does he mean? It was like a long summer day. Now, by the way, when did that story happen? It was Gimel Tammuz. Yeah. It's the summer. Yeah. It is the summer. How do we know it was Gimel Tammuz? Yeah, That's a tradition. Tradition we have. Gimel Tammuz. We never spoke about it. Right? It's the summer solstice. It's the whole that. Yeah. So wait a second. So the Rambam basically saying nothing happened. It was just a long day. It was perhaps one of the longest summer days. So does the Rambam hold like the Rambam that nothing happened? There was no miracle. So the Abar Benel, in one of his forum, it's called Mifala Selikim. The Abar Benel says, yeah. The Rambam holds like the Ralbag. The miracle was on the field, not in the heavens, not in the sky. By the note that Ralbag's right, one of his rises, is, Ralbag says, Moshe is greater than Yeshua. Do we have testimony that Moshe stopped the sun? 
we do in Gemara and Medrash, but not in the Psukim. Says the Rabbag, how could it be that Yeshua, the Talmud, accomplished more than the Rebbe? Can't be that the sun stopped. That's one of his big tainas. Oh, so the Barbanel gives an answer. Barbanel says, you're measuring prophets based on their miracles? The Barbanel says, the Abishta gives a prophet to do whatever's miracle is necessary for the time. It does not show on the greatness of the prophet. And it brings to mind the famous thing the Friedrich Rebbe quotes. The great Chosid Rashbaks was asked, do you think the Rebbe Rashab has Ruach HaKodesh? And what did he say? He said, I don't know. I know the Rebbe Rashab is a Rebbe. If a Rebbe needs Ruach HaKodesh, he has. If he doesn't, then he won't. Who cares? It's Mamish Disfar to the Barbanel. The great miracle doesn't prove anything. Whatever is needed for the time, that's what you're given. Anyhow, so the Barbanel says, so the Barbanel says that the Rambam holds like the Rabbag, which means all the critique, the Rabbag God, the Rambam should get the same thing. In fact, let's look at number five and six. More than that, what does it mean to possibly to further conclude? Right, 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 in this point. Right, right. Let's, let's look at number five and six. I have some interesting quotes here. Number five, Rabbi Nachman of Breslov said, you can tell on a person's face if he learned Merinavuchim. Kaloimar meaning, it's not positive, it's for the negative. You can see a negative sign in a person's face. Says of Nachman of Bresl, if someone learns Merinavuchim, he loses the image of God. Upon him the kedusha, he loses the holy face to this. Uchmashiroyim bechutzi clearly, rubam kekulam shaaskud. Most people that were Isaac in these farim in these times became apikursim gemurim. Says Reb Nachman, and they're chashud and all the averis in the Torah, because this sefer Mernavuchim and also the other sfarim of mechkrim of of mechakrim of the you know philosophers farim. It uproots a person from the true Yiddish belief and from the Holy Torah. He's talking about and from specifically God. Jewish philosophy. Yeah, Jewish philosophy. Not, yeah, I forget that. Jewish philosophy. Like I said, he said if someone, when you learn Ra'al Bag, you're going to tear Kriya. So Rav Nachman of Breslov was extreme. But look at number six. This is an interesting, um, this is from an interesting sefer, but it says like this. That Semachsedek Omar Pam, he once said to his sons, Semachsedek had many sons, and they were all great people. He said the following, Rabbeinu Hazok and Omar, the Altarebbe said that the Rambam had a Kebo Bria, had a healthy, you know, gut, healthy intestines. The Rambam could eat even snakes and scorpions, and it wouldn't damage him. Meaning, uh, metaphorically, the Rambam could handle all types of ideas, it wouldn't hurt him. The Chain Amar al Atzma, the Altrebbe said, I also have a healthy stomach. The Chain Amar Allah said that Samachsed, the Altrebbe said the same thing to me. But then that Samachsed told his kids, Ah, Atim, but you? Einum Rashoim, you're not allowed to learn Murnavuchim. Va'ato, and then he pointed to one of his boys, you for sure not. <laughs> we don't know which one. That's what he said. One of his, he said, you Zichonisht. All of you shouldn't, one of you for who sure. Says, who says number six? Who says yeah, this? Yeah, where's this from? Five this six. is, it's five and six is from a safer that I have that has an interesting collection of stuff. But after each thing, it says where it's found. Number six is found in, it's called out of the, the Zechronis of one of the Chassidim. 
One of the Babajikhsim in his Akhrainas, he quotes, not one of the mainstream, it's one of the non-mainstream. He pointed at one of his sons and said, and he you said, for sure not. He said, all of you shouldn't learn, and you for sure not. You, you for sure not. You certainly not. That kid has a different pension. For why would he single him out in front of everybody? Like, that's embarrassing. He's giving them a high ride. He's giving them a command to his kids. You definitely don't go that direction because you read too much. You're reading too much of those novels. I mean, it's a normal thing. It makes a lot of sense. You're pushing. He did it to me a lot. That's why I find it hard to believe. Yeah. All right. Hold on. Hold on. Okay. Fine. Hold on. Hold on. So where we hold, it seems like the Rambam learns, like the Ralbag, that the sun never stood. It was just a, it was a miracle on the battlefield. That's how the Abarbanel in his Sefer learns the Rambam. It doesn't say it before. I will. Well, the Rambam just says that the day was like the longest summer day. Shaz, what does that mean? Because it was a regular summer day. So is the Rambam just saying it happened to be well, June 22nd, it happened to be the longest day? And there was no cele- cele- uh, miracle in the heavens. That's how the Abarbanel learns. I just will tell you, others learn the Rambam differently. Some hold that according to the Rambam, the sun set on that day regularly. But Yeshua procured some um, special light. There was a miraculous light that didn't come from the sun. There was some miraculous light. I don't know, the northern light somehow started shining in that battlefield. There was some miraculous light. That's how some learned the Rambam, which is a whole different take on the story. The sun set, but there was a miracle. A light came from some other source. A lunar eclipse. But it doesn't make sense to, for that to be. I know, the word of him. Because why would he, the whole point of Meir Nevochim, and in this point particularly, right, 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 was to say right. it's not a miracle, right. was to explain qu- it away rationally. The question is, but the question to make is, it a bigger miracle. The, the northern of, lights came from Sweden and, and, and infected the There was light. Well. Somehow the, there was light shining from where? Who knows? Yeah, that's, there is a third approach, just, just to be honest for the Rambam, there is a third approach in the Rambam. And that is that one of the great Spanish philosophers, we haven't mentioned his name yet, was Rab Chistoy. Karaskas. He wrote a sefer, Ur Hashem, the light of God. And he was towards the end of the, he was a very influential figure in, after the, the expulsion of Spain in 1391, that predated the famous one in 1492. There was another, there was a major Xera. Yidin had to either leave or convert. It wasn't the same degree as 1492, but it was quite serious. And uh, the Yidin were destroyed and broken, and Rebchistoi Kreskes was mamish like a manik. He was like the Rebbe uh, at that time. He was a philosopher, and he wrote a work called Er Hashem, the Light of God. And he was one of the greatest Spanish philosophers of all time. There's many ideas there that we don't agree with, but that's fine. It's just an opinion, like he has about free will that uh, that we wouldn't, uh, you know, wouldn't fly. But he was a great philosopher, and. He says, you know what happened on that fateful day by the battlefield? He said, yeah. This is according the, to the Rambam. No, no, he says according to himself, hold on. Ah. He says that the sun never stopped, but it slowed. Because the Apostle says the sun did not hasten to set. That's what it says in the Sefer Shaftim. He says it means the sun went slower than usual. The day was a half hour longer. A half hour longer. Which... At least he says there was a miracle. It's against Chazal in the, in the Gemara of Adizor that says it was six hours, 12 hours. 
he wants to say a half hour because to him it makes sense that you know that you know, more than that just doesn't make sense. But he says there was some Some's feasible, down there, makes sense. but not stopping. They can't stop. They can't stop. You can't slow down either. Well, if you know what exactly is slowed, if the earth is slowing, the sun is slowing. Oh, so some want to suggest that the Rambam holds the same way. When the Rambam says that that fateful day was like the longest day of the summer, the Rambam doesn't say it was the longest day. It was like the longest day. It was Takagimu Tammuz, it's summertime. But it was a half hour shorter than the longest day. Right. And it stretched out, so some want to put the Rambam so together with nature. Him. Because the nature had that longest day. Exactly. It's a natural phenomenon. But, but something earlier. unique transpired in the heavens. It wasn't supposed so to be. So there's three options in the Rambam. Al-Kaponim, this is an example that of a story in the book. Right, 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 right. But, but still it gets a lot of flack because the Gemara in the Medrash says the miracle was much grander. Why are these Rishonim limiting the miracle? But they're not against the Psukim. This is just against the Gemara. Okay. The story of Yoyna. The story of Yoyna. Did it happen? You assume it happened. There's one Rishon. There was a Rishon called Ibn Kaspi. Now, as, as outlandish as the Ralbag was in his time, this guy was even beyond the pale. <laughs> was left of uh, Ralbag. He, he was under scrutiny, terrible scrutiny his whole life. Ibn Kaspi is his name, and he wrote a Pirish. And he says, Yesh Omrim, that the whole story of Yoyin and the whale was a vision that Yoyin had. Yoyin existed. Yoyin was a prophet. But he says, do you think that Yoyin spent three days in a whale? Come on. He says, like the joke with the selling the apples, right? That's an old joke. It doesn't matter. No, 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 no. no. It's old. It's, uh, yeah. Let's get back to the rest. He says, but Yoyin, he says, it was a vision. The whole thing of the whale of Yoyna in the ship and being thrown off the boat and the storm, it was all a vision. But even he, he says, yes, I remember, you know? But he's the only one, he's the only one who brings such a period. You know, even the Rambam didn't say that. In Murunavuchim doesn't say that the whole story of Yoyna never happened. But Ibn Kaspi brings, but Ibn Kaspi in his time, he was, you know, he was almost excommunicated. But today, you know, we've brought them all back into the, now he's almost a mainstream period. There is one opinion who says that, but it's only one opinion. Eoth. The Gemara in Baba Basra has many opinions about Eoth. When he lived, some hold one opinion in Gemara is that Eoth actually married Dina. Yeah. Wild deviation. Another, well, now we are the... Shimon. Shimon. That's it. That's, that's according to that's a different opinion. That's a different opinion. There's a whole shaila how he married Dina. They were full. Yeah, 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 God is usher to his sister, so he wants because uh, it was. Um, no, 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 no. That won't help you because a guy they were chayv and arayist, and um, it was surrogate motherhood. You know, they were conceived by different mothers. So we spoke about that. Anyway, that's, that's uh, anyhow. There's a whole chasam sefer about that, but uh, there is an opinion in Gemara that Siyev Eve never existed. The whole story is a marshal. Right, but that's not a vision. That's a muscle because it's telling. Yeah, us the whole thing. Yeah, the whole thing's right. a muscle. He himself never existed right. according to this opinion. Right. The Rambam in Merinavuchim. Which opinion does he say? Never. He says that the Rambam says Eve begins. There was a man in Utz. His name was Eve. Says the Rambam. There's no place called Utz in the whole Tanakh. 
Utz is, is, a, is a kid that you have, one of Nocher's kids that mentions in the end of the next week's parasha. Yeah. Says the Rambam, Utz, to some say Utz is Eve. That was actually, yeah, that's Eve. The Rambam says Utz is not a per. The Rambam says Utz means Eitzah. It's a place of advice. The Rambam says the whole story, the Rambam writes, the whole story of Eve is a parable. Now that's Nishkefeil, because there is one opinion in Gemara. Right. No opinion in Gemara. And the other opinions, they don't really know when he lives. It's very shaky. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. I don't want to go too late. I just want to one. That's according to some. Yeah, yeah. He was advised. Right, the child. If that's literal, okay. But then, now we're not talking about Gemara, no, because that's a whole other subject of the of Gemara. So now we're talking about stories of Nach. Chumish and Nach. <clears throat> Hoysheya. Oh, I love this one. There w- in Treyasa, what's Treyasa? One of the Sfarim of Nach is a collection of 12 Nevi'im. These Nevi'im, some of them are very short. Ivad is one yeah, parak. Yeah. The Chachamim, or way back when, the Antik Nesagdola were worried that some of these small pamphlets would get lost. So they stuck it all together, you know? They called the Treyasa, the 12 prophets. One of them is Hoysheya. And in Hoshea, in the beginning, there's a story. Hoshea, the Abishta comes to Hoshea and says, Hoshea, the Yidin, this was during the first base on Mikdash, the Yidin are worshipping idols, you know, they've um, abandoned me. So Hoshea says, no, so choose a different nation, go to Korea, you know, choose a different nation. <laughs> so the Abish is like, oh, yeah, that's not, that's, not, that's not what I wanted to hear. I wanted, <laughs> I wanted some defense. Epis, a good word. Epis, say something for the Yidin. What do you say? Go find a new nation. Hashem tells Hoshea, I want you to marry a certain Zoyna. Her name was Goimer, the daughter of Divloyim. Funny name. The Gemara discusses the name. Hoshea marries her. Hashem says, I want you to have kids. He has kids. And then the Abijah tells Hoshea, you're married to a harlot. Who said those kids are even your kids? I want you to divorce her. Hoshea says, divorce her? She's my wife. I have kids with her. Hashem says, oh, so all of a sudden, your doch married to an unfaithful wife, right? Or at least she was unfaithful before she married you. And oh, because she's your wife, you can't say goodbye. And you want me just to leave the Yidin because they were unfaithful. This is a story in Hoshea. The Gemara in Psachim discusses the story and makes it a very real story. It speaks about her and how what type of harlot she was and everything and... It sounds like a real story. Can I also? I'm the only. I'm the only one here. Never without a. Without a. Oh shit! Rolls out. Exactly. She was continuing on that. Exactly. By the way, that's very much like Yona. The Right. 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 So the Shaila is: Did that actually happen? You assume it happened. Over here, there are numerous Rishonim that say it was all a vision. It's such a juicy story. We know Yehoshua married Yehoshua married Rachav. Rachav was the the most the, the, the you know the the most professional zone the world has ever seen. The Gemara says in Zvachim that when Rachav was ten years old, she became a zona. For 40 years, she was the most professional Zionist in Israel. The greatest of the great would travel just to spend the night with her. I mean, the Gemara, the Gemara says in Tainus, right, even saying her name would cause a person to, to become Tomei. 
And then with Nachman, well, I do it. I, I say your name, but nothing happens. You have to know her. Exactly, exactly. You have to know. You have to know. So you should. He said it also. Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So Yeshua married the Zayna. So did Hoshea marry her? So over here we have a slew of big Mepharshim who say, no, it never happened. It never happened. Because it wouldn't make sense Hashem to command Hoshea to marry a Zayna just to bring out a point. It was just, it was a, it was, it's a message. If it's a message, it's a vision. It's who says it was a Boshim? Well, no, it's a Nevuah. They, I'll tell you who it is in a minute, but they say that Hoshea saw the whole thing happening. He visions himself marrying the the, like the, the putting his hands around people. He visions himself Ripping having children, right. and he visions the Abish telling him to leave her, and he visions himself fighting. His, it was, the whole thing was like a dream, a powerful vision. It was a nevuah. Who says this? The Meiri, who was one of the great halachists, he writes this on his commentary on the Gemara Sachem where the story is discussed. Not far fetched. The, the Abar Benel himself learned it was just a vision. And other Rishonim as well. And so that's another story in Nach, which it's a great story. So, you know, it's a real, it's a juicy, geschmacker story. And you have a whole slew of Rishonim who say, that's not what the Psukim mean. It's not what the Psukim never meant it literally. Because it doesn't make, if Hashem wants to teach a message, he's not going to say, you know, well, why would Abish tell them to spend years of his life Force him to marry a son and have to just to, to, to drive a message home. They believe it doesn't make sense and therefore it's not literal. I'll give you one more example. And then we'll, then we'll just get to the, the debate in 1305 and then, and then we're going to be done. The, Elisha and Elio both bring kids back to life. They both bring kids back to life. It's clear in the Psukim and Seif Malach. The kid that Elio brought back to life ends up being Yoyna. It says in Medrash it was Yoyna. And the kid that Elisha brought back to life was Chabakuk. Chabakuk. So it seems like they brought kids back to life. It seems from the Pesukim these kids died and these Nevi'im brought them back to life. Let's take the story of Eliyahu for a moment. You know, Eliyahu, he, he went on top, he hovered above the kid, he breathed on him and brought him back to life. It sounds like the kid died. We once discussed yeah. if Elio is Pinchas, he's a Kayan, how could yeah. he? So there are those, some people say the kid never died. Right. They spoil a good story. He was close to dying. He was close to dying. The Radak, Kimchi, who was also a Pashtun, but he was sympathetic towards, you know, what the Gemara and Medrash say. But he says there are those that say the kid didn't die. But he doesn't like it. He says, no, 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 no. The kid died and there was Tchiyas HaMesim. The Rambam in Merinavuchim says the kid didn't die. Spoils a good story. No, I didn't bring the kid back to life. So you have, you know, the, you have lots of these statements of the Rambam where he takes these good stories, you know, where the kids, you teach them to kids and it gives them belief in the Abishter and Sadiqim. And I was pouring cold water over all the stories, you know. Because of this, he got tremendous flack. But the, and the Rambam will say to defend his Merinavuchim, I'm not arguing God from any Pasuk in the Nach. I'm telling you what the Pasuk means. I'm telling you what the Pasuk means. You think the Pasuk means that the guy died, the kid died. I'm telling you it's not what it meant. It says he was, he, it says, the Pasuk says until there was no breath left. That means, you know, that you couldn't detect any breath. But the, kid, the person was still, he was faintly alive, faintly alive. 
So you, the Rambam, though, is mainstream, right? He's not a Reformed Jew, God, but the Rambam is mainstream. But he writes his outlandish things in Merenavuchim. So what happened in 1305? What happened was like this. Philosophy was getting really big in, in France, particularly southern France, in Provence. And the Rabbonim were so involved in philosophy that if you would go to Shulon Shambas, you know what you would hear? Aristotle. You know, instead of hearing people quoting, you know, Gemara's people quoting Aristotle, Greek philosophy, and this philosophy, and Arabic, and, and it was infiltrating all the Shiudim were, you know, they weren't learning this, they were learning, uh, you know, the books of the Greeks. And it hit a point, it hit a point that people started touching. You think there were 12 Shvatim? 12 Shvatim never existed. The 12 Shvatim are a marshal for the 12 constellations of stars. The, the war this week about the four kings and the five kings, the four kings are the four Yesodis of creation. Fire, Ruach, Mayim, and Ofer. The five kings are the five senses. Touch, smell, sight, etc. It's all just a marshal. It's all just a marshal. So that's really getting worse, not just a quote in philosophy, they're taking all the stories of, and then they started saying that Avram and Sarah aren't literal either. <laughs> Avram and Sarah are just a marshal for the body and the soul. Now you may have heard that before, you know where that's from? That's from the Zaya. But these people were quoting it as if there was never really an Avram and a Sarah. The Zaya explains something in a way where it's also another exactly, right. exactly. What it's what not it's negating right. right. but these Rabbonim were saying or not Rabbonim at this point we're not dealing with Rabbonim and we're dealing with people that were just running away and then they came and said that tefillin doesn't mean tefillin boxes wow. it means just uh, your heart and your mind subjugate to God exactly <laughs> so there was a rabbi in Provence his name was Rabbi Abba Mori Hayarchi he was originally from Lunel, Lunel, Lunar, Yareach, so his last name was Yarchi. Where is that, Lunel? Lunel's in Provence, in southern oh, East right. France, and that's on the Mediterranean over there, that nice area there. And he was livid, he was, he himself loved philosophy, but when he saw where it was heading, he wrote a letter to the Rashba. Okay. The Rashba's, so by, this is where everything's going to culminate. The Rashba's living in Spain, in Barcelona. The Rajba is probably one of the greatest rabbis of the time. There was another great rabbi then who's actually Yardsiders today. The Rosh, the Rosh is Yardsiders today. Rabbeinu Osher. Tess. The Rosh originated in Germany, but the Christians were giving him a hard time. In fact, his rabbi, the Marama Rodenberg, suffered his fate. And the Rosh ran, he ran south, came to Spain. The story goes, he went to Barcelona, and he met the Rajba, they'd heard about each other. They spent a week behind closed doors together. And the Rajba said, all right, it looks like you know how to learn a little, I'm gonna get you a job. Toledo then was Rovless. The Rajba sent a letter to the people of Toledo that I have a rabbi for you. The Rosh moved to Toledo and that's where he lived for the rest of his life. In the year 1305, the Rosh is already in Toledo. The Rajba is in Barcelona. They were probably the two, the two big guns, but there were many others. And this Rabbi Abba Mori Hayarchi, who's um, from Provence, he sends a letter to the Rajman and says, listen, this philosophy is getting out of hand. It's, it's crazy. It's nuts. 
we got to make a cherem against it. we got to make a cherem against it. A serious cherem. And the Rajber wrote a number of letters to other rabbis to get, you know, see, you know, what's taka going on in Provence? How bad is it? Because back then a cherem was serious, you know. Nowadays, every time you open a Jewish press, you have 10 yeah. people here. Cherem <laughs> since, you know, 1993, you know what I'm saying? But back then it was very serious. And the Rajba wrote some letters to other rabbis. What's going on in Southeast France? What's going on? So there was a major upheaval. There was a major upheaval. Many people were supporting <coughs> philosophy, including the Me'iri. The Me'iri also lived in Provence, in Perpignan. Just to mention again, because it just pains me so much, the Shliach of Perpignan, Rabbi Pevzner was a young man, just passed away not too long ago. And the fascinating thing is before he died, he said, I want to be buried here. Yeah, they just... In uh, Yeah. No, he wanted to be buried in his Makam yeah. 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 So yeah. anyhow, so then listen, the schus of the Meiri should stand for his family. Right. The Meiri lived in Perpignan. The Meiri apparently was, was okay with the philosophy. He did not want this cherem to go through. This Rabbi Abba Mori Hayarchi was living then in Montpellier. It's also a city in the same area, all in the same. It's all in the nicer, right near Monaco, well, just, just, just down the road from Monte Carlo. Um, you know, that whole area there, Nice and Marseille, the whole uh, southeast France. So this Rabbi Abba Mori Hayarchi was living in Montpellier. These other rabbis in Montpellier said, what? You sent a letter to Barcelona that the ranch bishop put all the people who are doing philosophy in Cheyenne? We have rabbis here in Montpellier. Who do you think you are? It turned into such a maise that something like the king of France himself got involved and this Abba Moriachi had to flee. He had to run out of the city. Wow. He had to run out of the city. Ultimately, though, the Rajba did put out the cherem. And we actually have it here. I didn't put that in the chuvas of the Rajba, we have about five chuvas in a row where it's discussed. And you can mamash read it. It's fascinating to actually see the whole thing, the whole thing inside. And the Rajba quotes all these, uh, how these people were just taking the psukim out of their literal pshats. They said, Avram and Soros is the body and the soul. They said the 12 sons of Yaakov and the 12 mazolas. They said, Amolik, Amolik is just the Yet Sahara, the whole Amolik. There were people said, you think Amolik fought with us when we left Mitzrayim? You know, like the cynic says, you, know, you think, when a cynic tells you, you think they landed on the moon, huh? you know what you tell the cynic? Well, you think there's a moon. You think there's a moon, there's no moon. You think there's a moon. Anyhow, Amalek is the age of Light! Light in his wife. You think his wife turned into a pillar of salt, as people said? Light is just a marshal for intellect. His wife refers to the body. And they went on this path until they said... Yeah, that even Tefillin isn't... Anyhow, so you have a number of chulas in a row. The Rajba signed them, and you have here a whole list of names. <laughs> All the people that signed. The Rosh, that signed on the Cherem. The Rosh himself signed on the Cherem too. Now, in the Cherem, it's fascinating. The Rajba says like this. We are answering, we hereby, I and all the bottom and the cosine, we hereby forbid anyone less than 25 years old to learn philosophy or teach philosophy, right? And you can't teach philosophy to someone who's less than 25 either. And on pain of the cherem, 
It's only a chaim for the next 50 years. You know, it's not forever, just for, it's a 50 year ban. And there's a couple exceptions. You could learn Meir Nevuchim, which is a pella, because what's driving the Rajbra to make the chaim is people saying the stories of Tanakh, many of them are just Mishalim. And Meir Nevuchim, the Rambam never said it about mitzvahs like Tfilim, but he, and he never said the Shvatim or the Mazolos, but he said some other things like we saw, which are, but the Rajba said, no, the Rambam is, no, we're not touching Meir Nevuchim, that you can learn. In other words, it's almost like, I think the Vartis, the Rajba, wanted to give people an outlet. You want a little bit of philosophy? You know, whatever Aristotle, the Rambam quotes, that you could learn. And then he said, also medicine. And he said a fascinating thing. Says the Rajba, medicine is not considered a secular subject. It's not a secular subject. And he says, why? Because it says in Parshish Mishpatim, Verapo Yerape, that a doctor should heal you. The, the Torah was being given to Yidin who would be in Eretz Yisrael, where it's only Yidin. Right. So who, who's going to heal you? Right. A Jewish doctor. Yeah, How's he going to heal you? It must be he knows medicine. So the Rajbah says, actually I tell this when people actually go study medicine, that they shouldn't feel like they're, uh, according to the Rajbah, it's, it's, it's a Torah science. It's not a secular science. It's Bechlal, not secular studies. We know the Rebbe Marash in the bathroom used to, learn, used to read books on medicine. So now we're saying, forget about the bathroom. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, we know that. What? Oh, that's, uh, that, that's not a secret. In, in, in his, I guess in his bathroom, there was a whole library. Yeah. There's actually a Bach in Yeshiva today who uh, just showed me a whole, a whole, he just bought for himself a whole library for bathroom reading. Yeah. I guess, you know, there's a... Yeah, yeah, that's what it is. Bathroom. No, it's like, <laughs> you're official, you're, you're designating 45 minutes every day for bathroom time. <laughs> the problem is you get a good book, you know, you end up just spending more time in the bathroom. By the way, the Rebbe Rashab once said that he enjoys bathroom time. The Rebbe Rashab said because all the pressure of Avoida kind of pauses for a moment. Wow. You can take a breather. Yeah, you said that. Wow. When you go to the bathroom, it's like a breather. You know, you can collect your thoughts. Yeah, yeah. Because when you're out the whole time, you know, there's always the bathroom, you have a breather. Yeah, yeah it's an incredible thing that Eber Shab said. Yeah. Anyhow, back to the ranch. So they made this cherem. And uh, it was fought. It was fought by somebody named Rabbi Yedaya Hapnini. He, was the, he made the Panini maker. What? No, it was fought by many, but like I mentioned. But Rabbi Yedaya Hapnini wrote to the Rajba a letter. It's about 20 pages in here. Oh, wow. And in it, in it, yeah, yeah, in it, it's a long, it's, it's Tshuva 418, very long. And in it, he tries to explain why uh, it, it's okay. Philosophy is okay. It's not a problem. And uh, ultimately, though, the masses accepted the chaim of the Rashba. The Rashba was just so powerful. You know, he was such a, a leader that when he came out with this chaim and the Rosh as well, you know, all those Rabbonim that were upset, they were upset that a cherem was going to be made. But once it was made, you know, they closed their mouths. You know, even the, the Me'iri, you know, once the Rajma made the cherem, it is what it is. It is what it is. So, uh, and then it was against the philosophy because of the issue that was happening. That not only stories were taken out of context, but to the point they were taking mitzvahs out of context. Now, I just want to... I just want to finish with this. So how did the rush? The rush is in Toledo, you know. Barcelona, if you look on a map, is northeast Spain. It's right near 
Provence. So Barcelona, you know, it's a stone throw away. Toledo is like middle of Spain. Like, how did the Rosh get involved in this? Because originally the Rajba was hesitant to make the Cherem. Because he knew that so many Rabbonim in Provence were, you know, didn't want it. You know, and he's like, why should I get involved? He was hesitant. When this Abba Mori Hayarchi, who was the one who started, got the whole ball rolling, saw that the Rajba was hesitant, he said, you know what? I'll reach out to the Rosh. So that he got the Rosh involved because he knew the Rosh would, would, would agree with him. You know why? Because the Rosh came from Germany. In Germany, the Ashkenazic Rishonim didn't learn philosophy. They learned Bavli, Rishami, they learned Nigla. In Spain, they learned medicine, astronomy, they learned all these other Chachmas. The Ramban was a doctor, the Razba was a doctor, Rabbein Otan was a banker, he was a businessman. Rambam also was a doctor. Right, the Rambam, exactly, exactly. Astronomer. In, in Spain, in Spain, many of them were melumed b'cholachachmas, you know, they, they were doctors and this and that, they were more into grammar. In Germany, I mean, Rashi, some say was a banker, some say he was a wine, you know, a wine dealer, Benatam was a banker, etc., etc. So because the Rosh came from Germany, he had much less tolerance for philosophy. It was b'chala, frem dezach. It was a strange thing. So Abba Mariachi knew that the Rajbim might have a soft spot because he grew, the Rajbim himself learned all this philosophy. The Rajbim himself was... In fact, the Rajbi writes in one of his letters, he says, people think that, you know why I'm against philosophy? Because I'm a guy, I'm stuck in my room, you know, I'm a square man. The Rajbi says, I've learned all of it before. It's fascinating. I've, he said, I know exactly what this is. He said, people think I'm one of these, you know, old rabbis who doesn't, who's not with the times. I know it all. I've studied it all. And therefore I can tell you that it's dangerous. And the Rajbi, and then he writes something which I think the Rebbe would love. He says that... You know, some of you older people, you want to learn Lemudachel, you can handle it because you'll know, you know, you'll know what to accept and what to push away. But what about the kids, he says? He says, the kids aren't that developed. You, the kids are going to be exposed to all these things. How are they going to know what they should accept and what they shouldn't? What do you do about the kids? And that's Mamish the that the Rebbe told people, if you want to go to college, you know, don't study Lemudachel when you're a kid. Later! Later, there were people that later on, you can study later on, when you're spiritually and mentally healthy, but not when you're a kid. It's Mamash what the Rajbah says. He says, the older people can handle it, but what about the kindalach? Anyhow, so because in the beginning the Rajbah was, yeah, he wasn't running to do the cherem, so the Abba Moriachi reached out to the Rosh. And the Rosh Taka signed the cherem. The Rosh had no sympathy for philosophy. To him, it, was, it didn't really belong, no, no place for it. And today is the Russia's yard site. So ultimately the Chedim was made. And it's this incredible episode of history of, uh, of you see how uh, once you start touching a little bit of Torah, like it's Mamash the reform movement. It didn't take long until you lose everything. And it took a couple rabbis with, with guts and muscles to make a Chedim and it straightened everything out. It really straightened things out. So I just want to finish with one thing. This is an absolutely awesome story um, to do with the Rosh. Today is his yard site, and he was uh, involved in, uh, in this cherem. Today's cherem. Says the Chida, Vida, you should know. This is in his, one of his forum. He writes like this. Shemotsasi is number seven on the right-hand side. Motsasi b'megillah starov. I found uh, a hidden manuscript of Rabbeinu Reb Chaim Vitalzal. Mitaris yodei akodesh from his pure holy hand. And this is what he writes. Reb Chaim Vital says like this. 
I found in a letter from Rabbi Yehuda, the son of the Rosh. The, when the Rosh passed away, he left the son Rabbi Yehuda, who took over the Rabbonus in Toledo. Rabbi Yehuda is a brother of Rabbi Yaakov, the Balaturim. The Balaturim of the Tur was also the Rosh's son, but he actually didn't take over the Rosh in Toledo. Says Rabbi Chaim Vital, but I'm not matikul, I'm not writing the entire thing. But let me, show, let me tell you something that I saw in a letter of the Rosh's son. He says like this, says the Rosh's son, because I was a kid when our family left Germany, again, the Rosh was born in 1250, he leaves Germany about the year 1300. So his kids were born. Rabbi Yehuda says, I was a kid when we left Germany and we headed to Spain. I didn't hear some good stories of our Zaydas. Only a little bit. I heard from from my father, the Rosh, and from the sister of my grandmother, you know, some good Baba Mises. They told me, my father's father, Rabbein Yechilzal. Neulud was born in Bishnas Tov Tov, Kuf Ayin. That is the year 1210. When my Zayda was 16 years old, he had a chaver on a dear friend in yeshiva. His name was Shloyma HaKoyen. And they made a bris together, Shekolech, that each one of them will split with the other in all of their mitzvahs. They're going to be a team. That was the night of Yom Kippur. On Germany, on Yom Kippur, everyone lit their own candle. And if that candle goes out, it's a bad omen. That's why we light it all and shul together, you mix it up. So the candle, the beeswax candle of Maizade Yechiel went out. That was there in shul, it went out. Which one is this? This is the Rosh's father. It's the Rosh's son saying a story about his Zayda, Yechiel. Kikain minig of the Ashkenazim. To bring a candle to Shul, to light the entire night and day. But when he saw that his Nair had extinguished, he was very afraid. And Taka, a few days later, he died. he died. So if that candle goes out, it's really a bad omen. Now, he, it was in Shul, the candle was in Shul, but he still couldn't help noticing. That's why you give it to somebody else. You give it to somebody else. Or you mix it up. But make sure you don't look when you. You don't the want father to rush past when he was 16? When he was 16, he made this deal. He made this deal. He made this deal with his friend, we're going to split all the mitzvahs. When he died, unclear. The custom in Germany was, they would put the coffin of the mace, look on the left side, on a big stone, near the cemetery. And then they would open the coffin, to see that maybe because they moved the body, you know, make sure the guy's in a good position. Mm. Then Reb in the third line on the left-hand column, my father's friend, he approached my father who had passed away, Eitzel Arba within four hours of my father. And my father's friend started crying and he said in front of everybody, I am hereby reminding Reb Yechiel, my Gvir, my friend, in front of all of you, that he has to remember the part. We made a deal. We're going to split all the mitzvahs. He better remember this. All of a sudden, Rabbi Yechiel started to laugh. The person that had died, he passed away. He started, he, yeah, he was dead. I would freak out. He was laughing. He was laughing. No, but they, they took off the cover to make sure that he was straight. But he started laughing. Everybody saw. Now, it's missing a line here where it says that everybody fainted. 
Hold on. It was. It happened once after he died, Yomim, many days later, that my father's friend Reb Shleimer was sitting and learning in base medrash by day, and all of a sudden he sees Reb Yechiel sitting next to him. Reb Yechiel sitting next to him. The imay bahalacha, and uh, he was learning with him. The shalay minyanai, sir. Shleimer asked Reb what are you doing here? You know, aren't you in the next world? The Allah, he said, because he said, I'm in Gan Eden. Things are wonderful there. And I have a special chair. It's just for me amongst all the Hasidic Hadar. Things are wonderful. So Shlomo told him, please, my master, Baal Brisi, the, you know, we made a covenant together. I'm wondered, why, why were you given permission to come back to this world? Usually once someone goes to the next world, he's stuck there. Vayan loy and Rebichil answered, Vayoymer, you should know. I was given permission to go back home. Like Rabbi Yehud Hanasi. But I don't want to because people are going to say, oh, look at this Baal guy. He wants to show off. He's greater than all the other tzaddikim. What do you mean Rabbi Yehud Hanasi? He used to also go back home every Friday night to make Kiddush. After he passed away. Rabbi Yehud Hanasi, after he passed away, he would go home every Friday night. That's what we said. So the, the, Ram, the, right, the Ramban explains Rabbi Yehud Hanasi was buried. His body was in the ground. But... In heaven, there's a, there's a big uh, big factory full of uh, extra bodies, different, little different than ours, much more refined. And, and uh, Rabbi Huda Nossi's soul would enclose itself in one of those bodies and it would walk into his house Friday night. Look like him? That we don't know. I'm not say if it looked like him, but uh, probably to some degree. You know, probably had a long beard and payas and a, you know, yarmulke. Six months afterwards, it was obviously after he had passed. It was Lel Shabbos. It was once Friday night, in the middle of the night. My, this is the Rosh's son saying, my Zayda actually went home. My Zayda couldn't hold himself back, and he came from Gan Eden. Hitaka went home to his wife while his wife was awake. He told her, what are you doing? And he tells her, like, <laughs> he says, quick. Get out of here. Take your kids and your daughters. Take them all out of here quick. Because tomorrow all the Jews in this city are going to be killed. There's going to be a pogrom. And unfortunately, in the 1100s, 1200s, you know, every other year, there was a horrible, there was horrible. It's not just here, it's all the neighboring towns. And says of Yechiel, we davened. In heaven, I davened for all the Kehillahs. And my tefillah was accepted except for this town. So, and I was given permission to, to tip you off. She gets up in the middle of the night, she takes all the kids, she runs out of town. Rosh's mother. This is the Rosh's mother, right, plus the Rosh and the Rosh's siblings, yeah. And she went down and saved all, I guess, whatever she could. The Kulam Yatsu, they all ran out of the town Friday night. My father, his brother, Abchaim, and and six and the mother and six sisters and they all survived says Rechaim Vital this I gathered from the above letter from the Russia's son and that the Russia's son wrote it for his kids to remember the family story and I left a lot of it out says Rechaim Vital but I just wanted to write this story and this the Chidot says this is what this is the manuscript that I found of Rechaim Vital apparently yeah yeah there must have been yeah so that's an incredible, incredible story about uh, the Russia's father. 
So you see, you know, we're dealing with uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, from a different world, literally. The literally. Says <laughs> 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 you know, the mice, the mice with the marshal. An incredible story that the that the. <clears throat> that there was a younger man, a student of the Maharshal. So this is later, this is 1500s Lublin. A student of the Maharshal whose wife had passed away. Nebuch is a young man. And, uh, but months went by and this guy was walking around gloomy a whole day. So the Maharshal tried to speak to him, to encourage him that maybe, you know, you gotta pick up, you gotta, you know, get things going. And the guy said, I can't. He said, because my wife was sick. She was lying on her bed and she told me, um, Swear to me you won't marry anybody else. Swear to me you won't yeah, forget me. The whole young he says, uh, he says, uh, I, I swore to her. And that then she passed away. Life. And then I'm like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He said, to you, I'm stuck with my oath. Yeah. So the marshal says, the shvu is not binding. Yeah. You don't have kids yet. You can't make a shvu and not to do a mitzvah. You didn't have a boy and a girl yet. Now, that's, it's not Mamash Shiloh because you could have a boy and a girl without getting married. He could just find a girl and have kids with her without getting married. But the Marshal undid the, he said the Shvu is not a Shvu. So the guy got married. The, this younger man, he got married to another woman. And shortly after, he, got, he, he died. He died. And everyone in town said it's because he violated the oath. And the Marshal is the one who said. So Marshal hears about it. And he says, okay, they should take the body to the cemetery, dig a grave, put him in, don't cover him with dirt. Rather, the marshal says, I'm writing, he told the head of the Hever Kaddish, I'm writing a letter. I want you to put the letter in the guy's hand. In the letter it said, I, he would say, I, Shloyme, the marshal's name, I hereby am asking from the Bez and Shomayla that I paskin correctly, and therefore, with the kayak of Torah that's in me, I demand that this person should not be punished for violating the oath. He did not have to keep it. And therefore, his time hasn't come. He should come back. Wake him up. And that, that, that was the note. Hold on, that was the note. Hold on, that was the note. So the head of the Chavit Kedisha took the note, put it in the deceased hands. They lowered him in the ground. They didn't cover him. Later on, later on, this guy opens his eyes. Like, where am I? <laughs> you know, he, somehow he climbs. He climbs out of the... He cl- Listen to the end of this one. He climbs out of the thing. He walks out. He's still wearing his tachrichim. He's, t- <laughs> he's walking. <laughs> he's like his undead fellow. He's walking. And uh, he walks back home. He walks through the front door. His wife sees him. She dies. <laughs> she, well, that, uh, there's another story with the Mishmok in Nicholsburg. She, uh, she doesn't die, but she starts screaming. Time. She starts screaming. She runs out of the house. She runs to her parents. And she says, Look at my husband's Anyhow, word starts spreading around the town. He died finally. He's back. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Can't get rid of this guy. Word starts spreading around town. You know, and the next day, he walks into the base, he walks into the kailal. He was learning in kailal then. He walks into the kailal. He's still wearing his tachrichim. <laughs> you can get rid of them. <laughs> so, They're um, expensive. Hold on. So the, the marshal tells him, listen, it's nice to see you again. You've got to go back home and change. You, know, you can't walk around like this. He went back home, he changed. He came back to kailal. But no one wanted to sit next to him. People were looking at him. You know, people, I was afraid. So Shame. the marshal thought, well, I've got to do something here. Good book. What could he do? 
So what the marshal did, and you're going to ask, how do we know the story? The marshal summoned the angel, which is appointed on forgetfulness. And the marshal orchestrated through the angel that the entire town will forget the story. We'll forget the story. Listen, this is this is the legend. I mean, it's quoted in authentic story. Well, that you know the, story the entire the marshal, no? yeah, well, yeah, well, yeah, he's the only one that remembered it. The entire town forgot. Wow. The wife, the wife forgot too. No sense. No, he goes back home later. And the wife, oh, it's not just, everybody forgot about the episode of his death. It's fascinating. And that was in the mid 1500s. You know, only 450 years ago. Listen, we all grew up on the stories of the. Uh, of Anyhow, the, all right. Wow. That. I'll tell that story quickly. That's a story that Al Tadebbe said. 